chapter seven of abraham lincoln a history volume six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. abraham lincoln a history volume six by john hay and john george nicolay chapter seven antietam as soon as general mcclellan was replaced in command of the army of the potomac he began to put the forces in order and the ease and rapidity with which this was accomplished show that both he and general pope with very different intentions had equally exaggerated the state of their demoralization the troops were not in so bad a condition at centreville as pope imagined and the army that mr lincoln handed over to mcclellan at washington was both in numbers and morale a formidable host its morning returns show an aggregate of over one hundred thousand men and general mcclellan himself reports that he had at antietam eighty seven thousand but the vast discrepancy between the force on paper and the effectives in battle gives a margin of which writers are apt to avail themselves according to their prejudices or prepossessions general palfrey who took part in the campaign and who afterwards examined the reports on both sides with scrupulous care says that in this single instance mcclellan overstated the number of his troops in action and that seventy thousand would be nearer the mark it is true he could afford it as in the same estimate he very nearly doubled the number of the enemy the confederate roster shows some forty-five brigades of infantry exclusive of cavalry and artillery lee says in his report that the battle of antietam was fought by less than forty thousand troops on his side mcclellan's time for training and drilling his recovered army was brief for within a few days the news came that lee had crossed the potomac into maryland there was no time now for indecision and lincoln's stern and constantly repeated injunction you must find and hurt this enemy now had to be obeyed general lee has given in his own report a sufficiently clear statement of what he hoped to accomplish by his invasion of maryland the supplies of rich and productive districts were thus made accessible to his army and he wished to prolong this state of affairs in every way desirable and not to permit the season for active operations to pass without endeavouring to inflict further injury upon the enemy he also makes an acknowledgment which shows that he in common with others at richmond had been grossly deceived by the accounts which rebel refugees from maryland and their sympathizing correspondents at home had given of the oppressive tyranny of lincoln and the resentment it had caused in that commonwealth he says the condition of maryland encouraged the belief that the presence of our army however inferior to that of the enemy would induce the washington government to retain all its available force to provide against contingencies which its course towards the people of that state gave it reason to apprehend at the same time it was hoped that military success might afford us an opportunity to aid the citizens of maryland in any efforts they might be disposed to make to recover their liberties the difficulties that surrounded them were fully appreciated and we expected to derive more assistance in the attainment of our object from the just fears of the washington government 
than from any act of demonstration on the part of the people unless success should enable us to give them assurance of continued protection in a hasty note he informed the richmond government of his purpose and took the initial steps to execute it with great promptness he crossed his entire army between the fourth and seventh of september near leesburg and camped in the vicinity of frederick he took it for granted that our force at harper's ferry would be at once withdrawn thereafter he intended to move the army into western maryland establish his communications with richmond through the shenandoah valley and then to move into pennsylvania and draw mcclellan from his base to fight in a field of his own selection if all his surmises had been correct if miles had been withdrawn from harper's ferry if maryland had risen in revolt if mcclellan had allowed him to range through western maryland at his leisure the plan would have been an admirable one and the results of it most fruitful but all these expectations failed after two days at frederick he found that maryland was contented with the oppressor's yoke and that miles remained at harper's ferry he therefore considered it necessary to detach a large portion of his force under jackson mcclaws and walker to surround and capture the garrison at that place the rest of the army withdrew from frederick to boonsboro meantime mcclellan was slowly approaching he felt of course the need of more troops with an army and trains about him so enormous that as he says in his report they would occupy fifty miles of road in marching order he still paused on the tenth to write to general halleck begging for reinforcements he first assures him that the capital is in no danger and that all the troops there may safely be sent to him but in order to guard against any possible rejoinder he adds even if washington should be taken while these armies are confronting each other this would not in my judgment bear comparison with the ruin and disaster which would follow a signal defeat of this army an opinion which has no especial value except as showing what general mcclellan's judgment was worth in such a matter except when he was in washington he always regarded its possible capture as a trifling affair but his demand was complied with porter's corps was ordered to join him with a kind message from the president which he acknowledged courteously and then asked for the remainder of keyes's corps he was in no haste he ordered his officers beforehand to avoid collisions he attempted in his report to account for his tardy marching on the ground that the authorities at washington wished him not to go too far from the capital general halleck says that no order capable of bearing this construction was ever given he says i telegraphed him that he was going too far not from washington but from the potomac i thought he should keep more upon the potomac and press forward his left rather than his right so as more readily to relieve harper's ferry which was the point then in most immediate danger but two days after the above-mentioned letter asking for reinforcements mcclellan received information which was enough to put a soul of enterprise into the various languid that ever breathed there never was a general so fruitlessly favored by fortune as mcclellan and never was such a piece of good luck offered even to him as that which fell into his hands on the thirteenth of september 
he had been advancing in his leisurely manner from washington on parallel roads making only about six miles a day when on the thirteenth he arrived at frederick and one of his officers brought to him lee's special order of the ninth that a private soldier had found containing his entire plan of campaign by this he learned that his enemy was before him a day's march away that lee's whole force was inferior to his own and that it was divided into two portions one in camp near boonsboro and the other besieging miles at harper's ferry it is not too much to say that his enemy had been delivered into his hands after he had read this order an immediate contest between him and lee other things being equal would have been like a fight between a man blindfolded and one having use of his eyes he not only knew of the division of his enemy's army in half but he knew where his trains his rear-guard his cavalry were to march and to halt and where the detached commands were to join the main body he seemed to appreciate the importance of his discovery but it was not in his nature to act promptly enough franklin was at bucky's town about twelve miles east of south mountain a prolongation northward of the blue ridge beyond which lee's army lay instead of giving him immediate orders to march with all possible speed to harper's ferry he wrote at his leisure a long and judicious instruction directing him to march to that point the next day the weather was perfect the roads were in good order mcclellan knew there was no enemy between him and crampton's gap every possible consideration urged him to make use of every instant of time the precious opportunity was neglected and it was noon the next day the fourteenth of september when franklin stormed the crest of the mountain after a brilliant and easy victory over general cobb's detachment of mcclaws's division which had been left to guard the pass the union right wing spent the whole of the same day in a stubborn fight for the possession of fox's and turner's gaps some six miles farther north after sharp fighting in which general jesse l reno an officer of the highest merit was killed and colonel hayes afterwards president of the united states was wounded advanced positions were secured at neither crampton's nor turner's was the victory pushed to advantage franklin did nothing to relieve the beleaguered garrison at harper's ferry and the force at turner's gap rested on the ground that they had won until when the mists of the morning cleared away on the fifteenth they saw the enemy had retreated from their front much valuable time had been lost and more than time for early on the morning of the fifteenth the blundering and bewildered defence of harper's ferry had ceased by the surrender of the garrison its unhappy commander having been killed after he had displayed the white flag but mcclellan had not yet lost all his advantage and the sacrifice of harper's ferry would have been amply compensated if he had moved at once with all possible speed upon lee who with only longstreet's and d h hill's troops had taken up his position at sharpsburg jackson was still south of the potomac he had no fear of night marches and was making all possible speed to join lee through the day and night of the fifteenth 
the force of mcclaws got away from in front of franklin and though making a long detour and crossing the potomac twice still joined the main army at sharpsburg on the seventeenth all this time while the scattered detachments of lee were moving with the utmost expedition to join their main body making two or three times the distance which separated lee from mcclellan the latter made his preparations for an attack as if to quote johnston again time was of no especial value to him on the fifteenth he marched down to antietam creek and placed his soldiers in position he rode from end to end of his line enjoying one of the grandest greetings ever given by an army to its commander the thunder of cheers which met him at every point showed that there was no lack of morale in that mighty army and that they were equal to any service their beloved commander might choose to require of them it seems almost incredible as we write it and it will appear inexplicable to such readers as may come after us that mcclellan made no movement during the afternoon of monday the fifteenth and did nothing during the entire day of the sixteenth but to advance a portion of his right wing across antietam creek and this while the ragged legions of lee were streaming in from across the potomac to take up their positions for the impending conflict every minute which he thus let slip was paid for in the blood of union soldiers next day never had mcclellan's habit of procrastination served him so ill a turn as during the whole day of the sixteenth lee's error of dividing his army would have been fatal to him if even on the morning of the sixteenth mcclellan had advanced upon him in force the loss of the afternoon of the fifteenth in that case would scarcely have been felt the reduction of harper's ferry had taken a day longer than lee expected and when night fell the divisions of mcclaws anderson a p hill and walker were still beyond the potomac he would have been compelled to withstand the attack of mcclellan's whole army with nothing but the divisions of d r jones and d h hill on the right and centre and of hood ewell and j r jones on the left but before noon of the seventeenth most of lee's forces were on the ground and the rest arrived during the battle mcclellan had rejected the proffered favors of fortune his delay had given back to lee all the advantages afforded mcclellan by the separation of lee's army and the discovery of his plan of campaign lee had had unbroken leisure for forty-eight hours to study his ground and the dispositions of his antagonists which had been made in plain view under his eyes lee's advantage of position was fully equal to mcclellan's advantage of numbers and it was therefore on even terms between the two armies that the battle of antietam began the ground was highly favorable to lee in front of him was antietam creek the high ground some of it wooded affording an advantageous position and cover for his batteries there was little field for manoeuvring and little was attempted from daylight till dark of the seventeenth the battle went on there was nothing of it but sheer persistent brutal slaughter mcclellan's plan was to throw forward his right wing the corps of hooker leading supported by that of mansfield and by those of sumner and franklin if necessary when the battle became well engaged on the right the left wing under burnside was to cross the lower bridge to try to turn the enemy's right 
on this simple plan the battle was contested hooker advanced early in the morning and fought until his corps giving and receiving about equal injuries was shattered to pieces and himself borne from the field severely wounded general meade succeeded to the command and mansfield came to his assistance the latter's corps also did heroic service and its veteran commander was killed in the front of his foremost line his corps was led during the rest of the day by general a s williams as the union left remained entirely inactive lee was able to use most of his force on our right and his resistance was so obstinate that sumner's corps was drawn into the conflict where it met with heavy losses richardson one of the best division commanders in the army received a mortal hurt and sedgwick was twice wounded before the battle ended on the right even franklin's corps which mcclellan had intended to hold in reserve was drawn into the whirlpool of blood and fire corps by corps division by division one might almost say brigade by brigade those brave and devoted troops were hurled in succession without intelligent plan without any special concert of action against lee's left the carnage was frightful the result in no proportion to the terrible expense it was afternoon before the left wing under burnside began its part of the work the lower bridge was crossed about one o'clock and the west bank gained but no further advance was made by burnside until after three o'clock he then moved forward his forces under general cox's command upon the enemy's right making good progress until late in the afternoon as if fortune weary of having her favors rejected by general mcclellan had turned to the other side the division of a p hill which had marched seventeen miles in seven hours arrived on the field from harper's ferry and made a vigorous attack upon our extreme left killed general isaac p rodman and threw his division into some disorder this unlooked-for demonstration checked the advance of the federal column and it fell back a little distance to the hills near the antietam night came on and the long desperate battle was at an end the tactical advantage was with general mcclellan on his left his centre and his right he had gained a little ground both armies had suffered losses which it shocks the sense to contemplate they were almost equal over twelve thousand killed and wounded on the union side over eleven thousand on the confederate but lee's loss was more than one-fourth of his army while mcclellan's was only one-sixth of his in his report general mcclellan says the night brought with it grave responsibilities whether to renew the attack on the eighteenth or to defer it even with the risk of the enemy's retirement was the question before me there could be little doubt of his decision of the question he was keenly alive to the sufferings of his army he loved them and was loved by them in return the piled heaps of the slain the thousands of wounded and dying the wreck and havoc of the conquered field all impressed his imagination so powerfully that he was unable to conceive the worse condition of the enemy there rose before his mind also an appalling picture of the consequences that would ensue if he risked another battle and lost it he saw lee's army marching in triumph on washington baltimore philadelphia and new york the country ravaged the cause lost every impulse of his heart and conscience forbade him to assume so enormous a responsibility he would not absolutely decide which course to adopt but after his habit concluded to wait until the nineteenth before making a final decision 
the occasion however would not wait for him lee knew if mcclellan did not that the confederate army was in no condition to risk another battle the straggling of mcclellan's force was one of the reasons that induced him to delay no doubt there was a great deal of it in his command one day mr lincoln exasperated at the discrepancy between the aggregate of troops he had sent to mcclellan and the number mcclellan reported as having received exclaimed in a grotesque simile sending men to that army is like shoveling fleas across a barnyard not half of them get there but the case on the other side was worse still lee reported to jefferson davis on the twenty first of september that the efficiency of his army was paralyzed by the loss to its ranks of the numerous stragglers on the morning after the battle he said general evans reported to me on the field where he was holding the front position that he had but one hundred and twenty of his brigade present and that the next brigade to his that of general garnett consisted of but one hundred men general pendleton reported that the brigades of generals lawton and armistead left to guard the fort at shepherdstown together contained but six hundred men this he added feelingly is a woeful condition of affairs but of course general mcclellan had no personal knowledge of this and as we have seen in the course of this narrative he was utterly destitute of those intuitions of the situation and the intention of his enemy which we find in all great commanders the fight of the day before had been so terrible in the struggle and carnage he had made his personal influence so little felt on the field he had gained so little advantage in comparison with his frightful losses that it would be unjust to expect to find in him on the morning of the eighteenth that alacrity and elation of victory which would have impelled him in pursuit of his shattered enemy beaten as lee was his promising campaign brought to a disastrous failure by his own error he was still less affected by it than was mcclellan by his victory he even thought for the moment before twilight had settled on the battle of the seventeenth of executing with his usual instrument his usual movement of sending stonewall jackson by the left to attack the right flank of mcclellan's army he opposed a bold front to his ill fortune and closed his description of the battle by saying that he deemed it injudicious to push his advantage further mcclellan was almost alone in his decision not to continue the battle on the eighteenth general burnside who commanded on the left testified that he thought the attack should be renewed at early dawn and gave this opinion to mcclellan the night of the battle general mcclellan said he would think the matter over and make up his mind before morning and a staff officer of burnside's was kept in waiting through the night at mcclellan's headquarters to learn his decision general franklin in command of the centre also testified that he showed mcclellan a position on our right of great importance and advised an attack on that place in the morning he said there was no doubt that we could carry it as we had plenty of artillery bearing on it he thought that by this means the whole left flank of the enemy would have been uncovered when asked what reasons were given for rejecting this plan he repeated mcclellan's customary fatal excuse for delay that he would prefer to wait for reinforcements hooker who had commanded the right wing was also of the opinion that the attack should be resumed although his wounds would have prevented his taking part in it 
but it was too much to expect of general mcclellan that he should follow such advice he had had it is true a moment of elation on the morning of the fifteenth after the engagement at south mountain to attack an enemy in position and drive him was to mcclellan so new a sensation that he was evidently greatly exhilarated by his success at turner's gap he reported lee as admitting they had been shockingly whipped and as making for shepherdstown in a perfect panic but after the terrible conflict at antietam the cold fit came on and his only dispatches to washington were of his heavy losses and of holding what he had gained he evidently thought more of being attacked on that day than of attacking the battle he says will probably be renewed to-day send all the troops you can by the most expeditious route it was therefore with feelings of the greatest relief that he saw lee's rear-guard disappear across the potomac and in the forenoon of the nineteenth he joyfully telegraphed to washington our victory was complete the enemy is driven back into virginia maryland and pennsylvania are now safe the president received this news as was natural with mingled gratitude and disappointment he was glad and thankful for the measure of success which had been achieved but the high hope he had entertained of destroying lee's army before it recrossed the potomac was baffled his constant entreaty to mcclellan from the time he put him in command of the army up to the day of the battle was please do not let him get off without being hurt it was with this hope and purpose that he had given mcclellan everything he asked for infusing his own indomitable spirit into all the details of work at the war department and the headquarters of the army it was by his order that mcclellan had been pushed forward that porter had been detached from the defence of washington that the militia of pennsylvania had been hurried down to the border he did not share general mcclellan's illusion as to the monstrous number of the enemy opposed to him and when he looked at the vast aggregate of the army of the potomac by the morning report on the twentieth of september which shows ninety three thousand one hundred and forty nine present for duty he could not but feel that the result was not commensurate with the efforts made and the resources employed End of chapter seven